In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Prez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my wonderful co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm a reality show. What reality show are you? The kind with roses? The kind where you're getting voted off the island? The kind where, you know, people watch as David Attenborough says, Look at them go. Magnificent, if slightly confused, Matthew. <laughs> he doesn't know anything when cannot care about. Oh, now he finds the ice fields. They are melted with the summer heat of the wildfires that are sweeping across his native tundra. I mean, that's a thing. But we're not here to do the reality show. No, 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 no. Maybe someday. Uh, but right now we are here to answer questions from you, our wonderful listeners. And as always, if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send those in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. If you want to hit us up on Discord, we have two Discord channels set aside. We have one for our Patreon supporters, Patreon Q and podcast questions, where we tend to look first for our questions. And in truth, most of our questions this week come from there. It's our little way of saying thank you for continuing to monetarily support us and help us keep the site operating. If you can't support us on Patreon and you still want to hit us up on Discord, you absolutely can as well. We have our Q and podcast questions channel. Uh, you can go ahead and toss those in there. In all cases, we ask that you specify what show it is for. And if you can't support us on Patreon, we do ask that you leave a review. If you are listening to us on a place that has the ability to leave reviews or share us with your friends, it helps more than you probably really realize. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our first question. And the first question is from Galari. I just watched episode one of the new Diablo 4 series, Book of Lorath. There they mention that Lucian is a child of Mephisto. I can't recall who he is. Has he been in any other games? What do we know about him? 
And as is customary, because this is a Diablo question, I am going to basically shut my mouth and say, Matt, go. Lucian is a complimentary and confusing figure in the Diablo. Sorry, I can't keep doing it. I do have a little bit of a rougher voice because um, Alberta is on fire right now, so I apologize for that. But to answer your question, Lucian is the son of Mephisto. He's Lilith's brother. Uh, we don't know if one of them is older than the other. I don't believe it's ever been said. Uh, Lucian was more of a suck up. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put that out there. That's that's he was more of a yes, daddy. Can I do it? What else can I? Can I lick your boots, daddy? Ooh, yeah, daddy, you're so smart and good. You know that guy. Um, but when Lilith and Inarius ran off and did their whole steal the the world stone, create sanctuary deal. Eventually, after Lilith was banished, um, the devils, the demons, started finding out. Like, you know, what's going on with this weird place? And there's all these people in it, and we don't know anything about them, and it's strange. So Lucian began infiltrating Sanctuary disguised as a figure. I forget his actual name in his disguise, but he was the leader of a church called the Triune. And the Triune was basically take the three uh, greater evils, uh, Mephisto, Baal, and, you know, Diablo, and call them by their older... Like um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember the re- the language. It was before the Visuri Mage Wars. The language from that period. So you had like um, Har like. And just for the record, Abel- he was the Pontifex Maximus. By the way, that he didn't yes, actually have you. a name. Well, I mean, he was still named Lucian, but yes, um, they each had their own name that was like a, a changed version of the names they were more commonly known by. And each of them was like uh, Mephisto's version was Mephis, and Mephis was the. Lord of Love in this religion, the Triune, because um, you know they, they were big on irony. Mm-hmm. Like Diablo was our Diablos, and he was the Lord of of Courage, and Baal was the was I think I forget what Baal's was, but he was the Lord of Creation in the Triune, and Lucian was running it. And in order to fight it, Inarius created something called the Cathedral. If you've been playing Diablo Four, that will sound familiar to you. I'll get back to that. Uh, and in in creating the cathedral, he basically created a sort of proto zacharum like faith with him as the father at the top of it. And he and Lucian were basically like having a kind of religious proxy war. They didn't want to come out and directly fight, and they didn't want to come out and have their religions directly fight because they didn't want to attract the attention of the the heavenly powers. Like they had the, the demons had figured it out, but heaven had not yet. And they didn't want to bring that in. And Arius didn't want to bring that in because he, he stole the world stone and created sanctuary. He didn't have approval for that. He didn't go to the other archangels and say, Hey, so I'm going to defect and not be in the eternal conflict anymore. And while I'm at it, I'm going to steal the world stone. Oh, and I got some demons helping me and we're going to bang when we get there. Like a lot. I'm just so totally hot for this little throw, despite the fact that I don't have a body and I'm just like made of light. Yeah, totally. Gonna just banger and banger until we have a kid. No, don't think about that. So he was like, I don't want heaven involved either. So Lucian essentially went back and forth on this with uh, Inarius until the rise of the Nephilim. And uh, the Nephilim in particular was not the Nephilim you played in Diablo 3, uh, it was Odyssean uh, Ildroma. Uh, Ildiomad. I keep wanting to say Ildroma because I keep thinking of the Star Wars guy. But no, it was Ildisian uh, Ildiomed, Ildisian son of Diomed, and his brother Mendeln, and others who that who were called the the Adriat, 
um, it's kind of like the elect. And they were like a second generation of Nephilim being born again because the world stone wasn't holding the planet in stasis anymore. Cause see when, when Lilith did her whole thing to create sanctuary and seduce scenarius and have uh, Rathma. And then the other various angels and demons started having kids. And as far as we know, Rathma is the only direct child of Lilith. Yes. And, uh, Anarius, there's never been anything said about another one. I but mean, we know the, <laughs> the we don't know that they're. They, I mean, the, the, let me rephrase. We don't know, which means the door is open that there could have been many. Yeah, well, we know there were other ancients that were mm-hmm. almost as powerful as Rathma, if not as powerful. Um, for instance, the head of the Druids, Fakla Giar, the he the creator of the Barbarians, Bulkathos, uh, and um, the the mage Isu who was the founder of the Zan Isu clan. Those are just some of them. They were all enormously powerful. They were like practically gods on sanctuary. Um, easily as powerful as the most powerful angels and demons, if not more so. I, I'm trying to, like, I, my brain is like, re- retell the entire creation of sanctuary, but you don't need, you don't we, need We've that. done that already. What, Go back and listen to one of what, our previous episodes. We've talked about that. What you need to know is that Lucian uh, basically run, ran afoul of Odyssean and for a while was a pretty good foil for him. Until Odyssean basically just got sick of the whole deal and basically obliterated him from existence. Like, he's just like, you know, go away forever. Um, in so doing, like I said, you know, that gone. We don't know if Lucian still exists. Like, because here's the weird thing. Everything Odyssean did technically never happened. Yeah. Because at the end of the Sin War, after fighting and destroying Lucian and getting rid of the Triune Faith entirely... Odyssean turned around and began smacking Anarius around. And Anarius had the power of the world stone behind him, and he was still losing. Like, Odyssean was simply, at this point, he had ascended to practical godhood. There was, he was he a, essentially a fully, a fully awakened Nephilim, right? Uh, yes, but a fully awakened Nephilim who could who is not restraining himself in any way. Yeah. And so, like, the other Nephilim didn't go after Anarius when Anarius used the world stone to create humanity by turning the Nephilim's children into humans, they just sort of let it happen because they respected Anarius or feared him or what have you. But Odyssean neither respected nor feared him. And so the two of them were fighting. The world stone began to destabilize and Anarius realized it was going to destroy sanctuary and everything on it and everything in it. Like the entire plane of existence, including the planet that they lived on was just going to be destroyed. The world stone was going to destroy it. So Odyssean stepped in used his power to make it so that the world stone had never weakened in the first place so that the, the, the Nephilim didn't start returning. Like humans didn't become accessing their Nephilim powers, which meant Lilith was never called back to sanctuary because that's the whole deal of the sin war. The sin war was caused by Lilith coming back to sanctuary and seeking out these, these Nephilim for a long time. She was manipulating the, the uh, Eldrim until much later. And when, Odyssean figured it out and he rebanished her. But that never happened, which means Lucian's death never happened or his non existence, whatever. We don't None know how that. Stuff, yeah, yeah, we we don't know whatever, how that actually shook out. Yeah, whatever was going on with that technically never happened. Odyssean never was born. Uh, Mendeln was the only one who remembers him because M- Mendeln was shielded by uh, Tragul, who was the, the. If you remember, in if you've been playing in the Diablo for beta as you played at any point or if you've been keeping up on the lore that we know from it uh 
Tragul is mentioned by Rathma at one point. He's called the serpent whose scales brought him the prophecy. That's the kind of thing Tragul used to do all the time. Tragul took Mendelm up and with Mendelm, he taught Mendelm along with Rathma's help, the, the arts of necromancy, which is where the priests of Rathma come from. Technically, Rathma didn't create the priests of Rathma. Mendelm did. Rathma trained Mendelm, who then created the priests of Rathma. But all of this is to say, Lucian is the son of Mephisto. We don't know anything about how he was created. Like, did they bud? Did he, like, you know, find a human and, and creator that way? Did, like, Lilith obviously pre-existed before humanity because humanity is descended from Lilith. Is the same with Lucian? We don't actually know for sure. Uh, it's never been mentioned exactly when Lucian was born or how. But was the son of Mephisto, was a Lilith's brother, and died, but maybe isn't dead anymore because tiny whiny shenanigans with Odysseus. Um, we know the world stone's gone now. So if, if the world stone itself had anything to do with Lucian's not being around, in fact, that might be one of the reasons that, that Lilith could come back, you know, cause the, the power of the world stone was no longer accessible to do stuff like banish her out of existence twice, because that's what, that's the thing. Um, originally Lilith was banished via the world stone. When Anarius and Lilith confronted each other after she killed all the other angels and demons on Sanctuary because they were going to kill the Nephilim, he used the World Stone to just send her away. And it took her until the World Stone started getting weakened to come back. This time, Lilith has been called back because you, you guys have seen the cinematic. You, you know that Lilith is called back to Sanctuary. So it's a different thing. Uh, but yeah, Lucian could pop up. We might see him. We might not. He's never appeared in a single Diablo game. He was in the Sin War trilogy. That's it. That's he might have got mentioned in a couple other books, but the Sin War trilogy is, as far as I know, his only real appearance. Back to you, Joe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just I don't know what else to say about it because it's always been fascinating, right? Like the Sin Wars really is the basis for a lot of what's going on currently, and uh, this is an interesting thing. And I, I want to ask a uh, sort of a follow up question. Do you think, I mean, have you watched the Book of Lorath uh, episode one? No, I didn't know it existed. Yeah, uh, neither did I. But I'm kind of curious. I want to go in and watch it and see if it's one of those things that I feel you're missing things if you don't read the books. Because I think that's one of the, we the one of the weird things that, in a lot of the game lore, you don't necessarily have to read the books to know what's going on. But I feel like Diablo creeps in that territory where so much happened in the sin war that's getting like a payoff now that I'm wondering if it behooves people to maybe listen to the audiobooks or, or give them a read. Do you think having, cause I know you've, you've gotten to play the beta. You've done some time there. Do you think that it is necessary to understand the finer points of what's going on? Do you think it takes away from the enjoyment of the story of what's going on if they don't know what happened in the Sin Wars? Or do you feel like they're going to balance it out in a way that that makes it okay? Honest question for you. Speaking only up to level 25 in the early access and open beta period, you absolutely don't need to know anything. You can walk into it literally blind. You can go into this game not having played a single Diablo game, and it's still pretty comprehensible. Demon shows up, says she created the world, starts evil cults. That's all you got to know. That's and, and and the the stuff you need to know that isn't that is revealed through the questing. Like there's a whole quest where you you following after Lilith and you find out why she's on sanctuary and what she's looking for and the fate of certain characters. That's all right there in the game plan. I'm trying not to spoil anything. So 
just just play the game and you will get enough to, to to play it it doesn't require you to know that stuff does knowing that stuff in enhance it i think it does okay but i don't think it's necessary i think you could play this game without a single scrap of knowledge of who lilith or uh, inarius are now and that's just that said if you are interested in some of that stuff we've covered quite a bit of it here yeah so yeah, go Go ahead and look for Lore Watch Diablo. We have at least, I think, three or four episodes dedicated to the story of Diablo at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I know absolutely at least three, probably four or five. <laughs> get, get you some background. <laughs> All yeah, right. We, we do absolutely have that, but but it is not necessary for this game. All right. Well, then we're going to go ahead and move on to our next one. And uh, I'm going to kind of bounce around here a little bit. This one comes from, I hope I pronounce this correctly, Dubu. Uh, I remember it was discussed a while back, and it was somewhat dismissed as unlikely. Draenei Warlocks. Now that they've announced any race can be Warlock in 10.1.5, how does each of the new races fit into that in terms of lore? Are there any other new races as contradictory as Lightforged Draenei? Is there scope for some band of Lightforged Draenei Warlocks to exist in canon lore? Thanks. So here's my take on it they can kind of do whatever they want, right? Like the lore can be shifted to be justified in any way, shape or form. And in this particular one, I don't know that we have the full reveal of why Lightforge are all of a sudden warlocks because warlocks like shaman in the universe can mean a lot of things. You're essentially taking a fell entity and binding it to your will. There's nothing that says that you're entreating with it upon like equal footing. There's nothing that says that you are, you know, BFFs with that void walker that you decided to pull out of the aether or the, 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 you know, the twisty nether. So they could just be pressing them into service because the Lightforged, at least to me, are fighting for survival of a universe. And it would almost be folly not to use every tool you have at your disposal if you can do it with maybe the promise of, Hey, if I get corrupted, make sure you hit me with a giant hammer. So there could be something along to that. I don't know that they've really revealed the story of that yet. I, I mean, do you have thoughts on that part of it, Matt, before going to the second part? Um, they haven't revealed anything new about it, but they don't have to because the framework for anybody being a warlock was laid during the warlock green fire quest, because that's when we found out that warlocks are using a framework left behind by the Titans. And that the framework was basically part of something Sargeras did before he went nutty nutty cuckoo to help imprison and keep the uh, various demons in check. He came up with a, a magical language of compulsion, kind of like a, um, a language of domination, let's say, that allowed him to impose his will to dominate various types of entities and force them to obey him and to obey anyone who knew the words of domination. When Sargeras destroyed Mardoom, apparently that robbed those words of their ability to force you directly into their into the, the will of the, of the speaker. But they still are, attracted the attention of demons. And that's said right in the Green Fire Quest that the reason that you can get various members of the Burning Legion to show up by saying certain words is that they feel them. They feel the compulsion effect. It's just not strong enough with Mardoon gone to, to bind them, but it's strong enough to attract their attention. So they show up to see what you want because usually they can use that to their advantage. Now we just went through Shadowlands where 
Um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but we kind of found out about a runic language of domination created by somebody who's on par with and kind of an equivalent to a Titan. You know, just casually. Now, that the, in that same setting, the Nathrazim are serving one of those those entities, the Eternals. Uh, the Nathrazim are effectively the, the servants of Denathrius. And Denathrius is on par with the entity that created the uh, language of the runes of domination in the first place. Um, I want to say the maker, but that's not his name. Uh, oh, bloody heck. The one that we, we kept speculating might actually be the bad guy of the expansion. The one who's in charge of, of mucky land, Meldraxxus. Meldraxxus guy. Come on, Joe. Kick in here. I can't remember off the top of my head. But you know who I'm talking about, right? I do. All right. Well, the guy we saw as the rune carver before finding out he was actually this lost dude who was supposed to be in charge of Maldraxxus, whose name is just not coming to my head. That guy created a new language of domination that the jailer used, and we saw the jailer using it. It's the runes on the on Frostmourne. It's all the runes all over Ice Crown Citadel and so forth. It's the means by which he was going to take Azeroth's very soul. And, and pull it up into Zareth Mortis and use it to recreate the cosmos. In the wake of that, it's quite possible that the other Titans of the Pantheon or their servitors have, have rediscovered how to make summoning magic work the way it originally worked, that to buy, to bring a demon to them and bind them. And so maybe that's exactly, it's essentially the same as what dark shaman do. They, instead of calling a, an elemental and saying, Hey, I really need X and I'll do what do you, what would you want to me to do to get you to help me do X? And instead it becomes, I want to do X. And if you don't do X, this is going to happen to you. You know, if they could pull a demon in, bind it and say, and Hey, remember there's a Nathrazim hanging out with the army of light. And he, he swears up and down. He's a good guy now. And he, and he's, he's on the side of the light. Maybe he shared what he knows. As a Nathrazim, maybe he said, "Oh, oh, that, yeah, we know how to do that, yeah." And so now that's why the uh, the Lightforged can now be have warlocks because those warlocks have been trained by the Nathrazim, that's supposedly a good guy now, and y- they're using the the knowledge that they bring back from the Shadowlands combined with the original summoning language, which was created by you know Sargeras, and they're literally pulling demons to them, putting them in a like nice light prison, and saying. Have you ever been burned to forever by the light? No. Would you like to be? No. Then why don't we talk about what you can do for me? You know, and and they're working to basically prevent the demons from becoming unified again uh, by controlling them and maybe even using them as sleeper agents. I don't know, but you could that, you could do that in five minutes because I mm-hmm. just did it in about five minutes. All the stuff is already in the game. Yeah, and it's one of those things where they can do that for anybody, right? It's mm-hmm. any race can fit this. Any race can make a justification for it. It's just a, it's a thing. I mean, Torin are super easy. So you get a Torin warlock. How's that happen? Well, Torin can be shaman, right? Mm-hmm. Who's been proven to be really good at becoming warlocks? Shaman. We know of at least two really famous warlocks that used to be shaman. One of them is, uh, you know, Nerzul. Uh, the, and Gul'dan, for that matter. Gul'dan was a shaman. Gul'dan was Nurzul's apprentice. And then, boom, became maybe the biggest warlock. And then there's Zulahed the Whacked. Yep. Was a shaman, took up warlocking. So it's not hard to to become a warlock if you were a shaman. It's like, it's kind of the same thing. It's just talking to different spirits. 
It's like, I, I, I'm no longer going to ask the elementals for help because the elementals have told me to F off, but the demons are perfectly okay with helping me out. So, you know, now imagine we've seen Torin, High Mountain Torin, no less, succumb to Fell. We saw that in Legion. Whole bunch of Torin running around, uh, you know, in, you know, drinking like Fell juice and turning all green. I'm pretty sure you could, you know, you could work out a Torin warlock in about five minutes from that. Uh, there's literally no race on Azeroth that, that is immune to the idea that at least some members of that race could be interested in power. And not only that, but like it's warlock or being a warlock, at least uh, one aspect of it is also just wrapped up in demonology, which is, you know, understanding and summoning demons. And like, I'll go back to like Wilfred Fizzlebang, Wilfred Fizzlebang. You may remember from the Argent tournament, uh, who, you know, was promptly killed by Draxus, but still, um, he was a master summoner. That was his whole deal. He didn't say that he was a warlock, although, you know, ostensibly he might as well have been, uh, or maybe he was a really bad one because he didn't know how to get, you know, Draxus to under his control. But the idea is like, he just knew how to summon things. And that's something that we haven't really talked about a lot in, Warcraft, but summoning is a thing that a lot of races can do, whether it's summoning your ancestors, summoning spirits, summoning the light, uh, summoning the spirits of nature or the, the ancients or whatever the case is calling and being answered is just a core part of a lot of races, a lot of classes, a lot of the, a lot of the ideology as well. Yeah. Let, Let me put it this way with a quote. Why I can summon spirits in the vasty deep. Why, so can I, and so can any man. But do they come when you call them? And Azeroth, the answer is yes. Yeah, they love to come. They're not doing anything. They might show up. Uh, Everybody, you know, I think this goes back to something Joe has been talking about for a long time with Shadowlands, where uh, he talked about how Azeroth is kind of like the place where all the various conceptual planes meet. Yeah, the center of the cosmos for for no good reason. Azeroth is where the action happens. I mean, when I say Azeroth, I don't mean the planet necessarily. I mean the the universe that it's in. Mm -hmm. But Azeroth is where the action happens. It's where the forces meet and oppose or congregate. It's where you can get light and fell and life, not just in their own weird little pockets where they just exist by themselves, but mixed together and forming the basis of creation. So reality is the place you want to be. You're going to listen to any call that you can get to because you can't get there. Otherwise you can't find it. Otherwise it's been noted numerous times. The Legion can't just show up. They need to have a find. They need to have a way to find it, to get to it. Uh, We saw that throughout Legion. We saw that in the original war of the ancients. Yeah. Even, even their ships, like their ships needed a beacon in order to start heading that way. Right. Yeah. They need to know where it is. The universe, the, the cosmos is infinite. And then the planes of possible reality within that cosmos are also infinite. So you need exacting directions on how do I get here? The best way is for somebody on that place to open a portal to you. Uh, That's how it worked in Legion. That's how it worked in the original War of the Ancients. Somebody on the world reached out first. Um, That's the easiest way for them to get there is for you to say, basically open the door and say, over here. And and it's like what Joe said about that in Shadowlands. That like every place else, like you go to the Shadowlands. The Shadowlands is like a conceptual plane, mm-hmm. and the the concept is this is death in all its permutations. That's why there are so many doors in Oribos. But remember, Oribos didn't used to be by itself. 
Orbos used to be at on the top of that big tower that we find the jailer at in the Maw. And the Maw didn't use wasn't the Maw. It was just part of the Shadowland. And it became the Maw when they banished the, the you know um Zoval there. And that's the whole like the, the thing about it. It's like it's conceptual. It's where these ideas and concepts exist, but the anima that funnels through it is what makes things real. Uh, and that anima in its purest form isn't in the Shadowlands. That's why it can be so easily cut off from the Shadowlands. It's brought to the Shadowlands by things from creation. Essentially, things that die bring their anima with them when they go to the Shadowlands. That's why the, the, the anima drought was even happening, because all the anima was being channeled to one place. And it was channeled to the place it would always have been channeled to, if not for the changes that were made during that original war. But all this comes back to this concept that things can be summoned to Azeroth because they want to go there. It's like the difference between, you know, existing out in the sticks and getting to come into like the actual city. You may not want to live in the city. The city may be like noisy and crowded and you don't like it, but it's where the stuff is. So you, you have to go there occasionally or have somebody go there or have somebody come from there to bring the things you want brought out. Uh, it's very similar. That's a decent metaphor. It's not like the, the whole story, but you know, it gives yeah. you an idea. All right. But I think that answers that one. I think we can move on to our next one. Uh, and this comes from our good friend, six K. So if all Illidan had to do to create a new well was pour a Coke cans worth of the old well into a lake, couldn't he have just done the same thing to the ocean and really screwed up Azeroth? Uh, this is a weird one, right? At least for me, because the well of eternity isn't necessarily like a special thing pouring into water and it being a thing. The well of eternity is essentially the recycled blood of an old God or of, of a Titan, right? A nascent Titan or Titan like being um, it's the wound that was created from the ripping out of the, the old God. It was the aftermath of the machinery of the Titans pouring the, the escaping essence back into it, making the water itself incredibly magical. Um, it is a thing that in and of itself is weird when you think about the rest of how Azeroth is constructed, because it begs the question of, is the rest of Azeroth just a shell that isn't connected to the Titan or is it Look, part of the Titan itself? Joe. Listen, Unicron is a thing and it is probably the most, the most accurate example or, or uh, that I can try to give here for an analogy. Tell me I'm wrong. No. You're wrong. <laughs> a Titan is much more like Galactus. They're not, like ego or unicron they're like galactus they take on a humanoid form is galactus capable of destroying a planet absolutely is did galactus come from a, a an a cosmic egg bigger than a planet absolutely is he just the cosmic egg walking around and poking people no uh unicron is like that unicron is essentially a, a, a shell former and that's i i don't think that's what the titans are the titans are not shell formers i don't think the planets that they're in are just eggs for them to crack out of and, and walk, you know, because we see plenty of planets that aren't Titan sold like Draenor. Draenor didn't have a Titan soul in it. Not all planets have them. The planets that form with Titan souls in them. Now is that we don't know if that's some kind of cosmic camouflage. We don't know what the deal is, but, but they're not, they're not transformers. I will stake, I will stake my <laughs> reputation as a transformer fan but on the it, fact that I don't think that they are like Unicron, which, which is fair enough. But I mean, it, it's an interesting idea. So what but, do you but to think about? Let, let's go back to something else. This time, let me ask you the question. Um, when you look at the, the whole notion of a Titan 
and the weird ways Titans seem to be affected by other cosmic forces. What do you think? Do you think Azeroth might be a Titan, but it's been exposed to so many different cosmic forces that it's like a a rainbow Titan, for lack of a better word? It's an every force Titan or on the on the road to becoming one? Yeah. So I was actually thinking about this a lot um, in terms of we started talking about how a lot of the Titan forged races tend to be, I don't want to call them sponges, but they take on elemental forms a lot easier than you would expect that they would, or they take on uh, adaptation uh, emergent mutations easier than you would expect. Right. And it's the same thing we talked about with dragons and it's, you know, it's the same thing that we actually know about Titans to a certain degree as well, because of Sargeras in particular. And while, the other Titans had their specialties. We don't know how they were affected by the thing that they were specializing in. We don't know that if ANR, because our, our time interacting with them is so limited, we don't know if ANR touching the Emerald Dream or touching the realm of life uh, so directly in shaping that sort of power that Essence transformed them. We can make an educated guess that it may have based off of where ANR had like their Petri dishes going and where we went to Elinara and saw their soul and what that looked like. Cause that was a tree that was very much like uh, you would expect to see at the center of like Ungirl crater or more or less. We don't know how Amonthul, if he was, how he was affected by time or anything like that. We don't know, right? We, we get to see them for a brief flicker of a moment, but Sargeras on the other hand, Sargeras is interesting. Sargeras reaches out and touches Fel. A power that we understand is pure destruction. Almost everything that comes in contact with Fel that we have ever experienced, whether it is a living creature, a divine entity, uh, or I'm air quoting divine entity, uh, but anything of like sufficient power, uh, a touch of it, a drop of it can corrupt you to the point of just you, you decay, you decay into nothingness. In a larger scale, you could go to the old Felwood and you could see what something being steeped in fell or being around, like what it does to things around it. Sargeras didn't decay. In fact, Sargeras, I borderline would say thrived. Maybe not 100% healthy, but like he was powerful. He wielded it. He was able to command it. And yeah, if you want to actually look at somebody who reminds me of what happened to Sargeras with fell. Uh, it's it's one of the aspects. You, you hit Deathwing with Void, and he did much the same thing as Sargeras with Fell. He began cracking open from the inside with power. Like Sargeras's body and and metallic substance was splitting open. There was just so much in him, and it didn't kill him. It might have hurt him. Who knows? But you see it when you see him with the gigantic flame horns. You'll notice that he wasn't green. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that when when um, Deathwing was fully Deathwinging it up, even when he had tentacles and stuff, he wasn't that weird purpley shadow color that the Void usually is. Both of them were bursting with their own inherent natural power. Neither of them was suddenly turning into a fountain of the other kind of power. Now, which is weird because that is not how we understand the Fell or the Void are supposed to work. At least not at that scale, or is it because we don't have the same capacity for that scale because we are not those types of entities? And Matt brings this up a lot. And before I go into the, the second part of Matt's question to me, I do think it's a, a, a good point to bring up is that 
we are completely different to Titans than Titans are maybe to the the first ones, right? There's an order of magnitude of power that is just outside of our scope of understanding, and we can mm-hmm. rationalize it as best we can. And a lot of our lore, a lot of the books that are written, a lot of the the stuff from like Chronicle is built off of that rationalization um, of mortal races doing whatever. In terms of what that means for Azeroth, this is why I, I like coming back to this idea, and Matt brought this up earlier, and I have been saying this for a while, Azeroth is unique in that every plane touches it in some capacity. And we know this, to at least in some context, because of Shadowlands. We know that there is a direct connection, there's a direct conduit between the Shadowlands and Azeroth. Not what we knew as the Shadowlands, but the Shadowlands proper. There's a link between Xerath Mortis and Azeroth. We think, and we, we've been speculating, that there are facilities in other zones or other realms of existence that mimic that same sort of behavior. And we know the name of one. We know the one. We know the name of one, yes. Xerath Ortis. Mm-hmm. Which we can assume is in the realm of order, and there's probably Xerath Vitae or uh, whatever you want to go. Like we could probably break it down and make educated guesses of what they would be called. Xerath Nihil, Xerath, yeah. uh, you know, whatever you would call for Fell, Xerath Mutas. We don't know. We're just guessing. But but yeah, we know everything of at least one. Yeah, and everything, every one of those elements or every one of those like subcategories of space touches Azeroth in a unique way. Which presents us, and I once argued that the reason that we are limitless and can touch everything and are always the wild card is because unlike other realms of existence, we are exposed to everything. We are exposed to void, we are exposed to fell, we are exposed to light, we are exposed to life and fire and and everything, literally everything. There's nothing that we can't I would actually go further. I would go even further than that, I think, based on what we've seen so far. I think instead of that, we touch it, we're made of it. Yeah. All of it, everything, not just, not just us, not just the, the various player characters of world of Warcraft, but the cosmos of Warcraft is woven out of these forces. Use, they use anima to bind it. Mm -hmm. It's like anima is like the glue or the, the concrete, the concrete or cement, whatever term you want to use. It's the matrix in which all these other forces are are brought together. Otherwise, they couldn't be brought together. You can, you fell normally is the is the it's like the destruction of light and shadow as they battle. It creates fell. Normally, they couldn't touch, but with the anima, they can. All of these forces can be brought together. Life and death. Normally, life and death don't have a lot of truck with each other. Um, order and chaos, or in this case, you know, fell. Uh, there's just none of these things. Nor naturally, without the first one, seems to want to hang out with the others. But with the first one's creation, with the the matrix of reality, for lack of a better word, God, we're doing a lot of Transformers references today. Uh, <laughs> all these things can be brought together, and they make up everything. Mortal beings, for all of our mortality, for all of our smallness, that's necessary because we have to carry death in us. You know, we have to be mortal. Yeah, we have to have that because, sort of internal that the internal time yeah. block, right? And also because that's how we know that the anima going to the Shadowlands is how the Shadowlands keeps working. Because the Shadowlands doesn't make its own anima. It, do any of these planes? 
Is that why these planes have to come here? They have to touch into our realm? Because we're the battery for the the multiverse or whatever? They they can't get the anima. And the anima goes out into those planes, but then it comes back in. And that's where new creation comes from. The, the, The cosmos is set up so that the destruction of a place here causes the at the anima to go to the shadowlands which is then eventually repurposed back into a new place over here the perfect balance or at least it's intended to be the perfect balance the force that we're hearing about now that had zoval so worried seems to be something that wants to disrupt that balance and that it seems to be everything even fell is sort of a like as a destructive force and and this is a separate argument but it adds something to that balance because yeah. unf- unfettered growth means consuming everything. Like you become the snake that eats his own tail. We saw that with, with Draenor. At, yeah. Look at, I was just going to say that. Look at how Draenor was going until um, Agrimar showed up and created the breakers. Um, the, the primals were literally devouring the planet. They were absorbing all the spirit, yeah. which is of course, anima. They were eating now, everything. I want to I want to claw this back a little bit because I think we're we're while I know people love our tangents I want to get back to the question that you asked and the question that that six uh, K asked here which is the root of this is do I think that all of that exposure has changed what uh, Azeroth is and yes I do and I think that's part of the whole point I think that is maybe the truth of the statement of rebuilding the final Titan it's not because we're actually putting the Titan back together, but because it's not a Titan anymore exposure to all of these forces, exposure to uh, all of this conflict and power surging through it back and forth is fundamentally altering what Azeroth is in the span of you know, 20 years in game. How long has it been? 40 years in game. It's it's uh, close to like, I think 33 since 33. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pulling that out of my head. I'm sorry. I don't sure. But I mean, over the course of just the last 30, 30 or so years, Azeroth has gone from a nascent intellect that is just beginning to have consciousness to becoming way more aware and powerful and being able to interact. Like, it's not just because of Magni, but you're seeing like the flow of power. But like, let's go back to the Zoval fight. That Zoval fight. We're getting empowered by Azeroth. Azeroth is making that choice to give us energy. It's not Magni flipping a switch, and it's not like an automated defense system because that would have happened many, many times all over the place. But Azeroth is going, oh, hey, I remember them. They fixed my heart. Let me go ahead and help them because they're trying to help me. And that power floods into you to help you defeat Zoval. It's becoming more aware but it's not just aware of itself. And the interesting thing is we don't know what the Titans knew. We don't know if they were sort of kept in the dark a little bit. We can kind of have a little bit of an idea of that because of Sargeras's reactions to a lot of the stuff that he experienced. Which and for was, that matter, this, some of the stuff we're seeing in Dragonflight, we see various beings that serve the Titans seem at least somewhat aware of, of the things we're talking about. Yeah. And so Azeroth knows those things now. It's had exposure to those things, and that is forming its personality, I guess would be the best way to put it. It's id. It's id is being formed with this idea of what actually exists in the universe at large, or the multiverse at large, or the multiplanar cosmology at large, however you want to put it. Think about it. Shattered timeways and timelines. We know that the Titans maybe understood that, but Azeroth is literally connected to different versions of itself, 
literally it's gone through the black empire. It's gone through uh, the elemental war. It's gone through so much that it is impossible for it not to be transmuted almost by its exposure to this. And I think that might've been the point because if you're going to defend existence from whatever great monstrosity is coming that Zoval was aware of, or that maybe the first ones were aware of that existed, you need something that can fight with the power of everything. And the Titans are pieces of that. They're not one thing. And we saw how easily one fell Titan, whether they were holding back because it was their brother or not, we see how easily they fell and how easily some of them were corrupted. At least Agamar was. You need something that can draw on the power of arcane death, fell, time, space, life, uh, the realms of order, the realms of chaos, it can draw on all of that and understand the infinite possibilities in order to fight what is coming because it needs to know what it fights for. Yeah, I think in the future, one of the things they're going to end up having to do is sit back and really think about what they mean by the word Titan. Mm-hmm. Because the pantheon that we see in Azeroth uh, could just easily be called the pantheon of order. And we've met the pantheon of death. These entities could all be just called Titan. They're just different titans. They're different groups of titanic beings. The word titan doesn't necessarily mean these specific guys. Because keep in mind, the word titan is is coined by us. It's not theirs. They don't call themselves the titans. No, the watchers like the, the watchers have, though. The watchers do. Their followers do. Yeah. Their creations do. But they don't. And it's one of those things I think about a lot. Like, you know, maybe it's not necessarily that Azeroth is is becoming something other than a Titan. It's that Azeroth is expanding what Titan means. Yeah. Like when you say the word Titan previously, you meant these guys because you didn't know about those guys or those. Now, you know, not only about these guys, but those guys. And then there's these other guys. Void Lords certainly have an aspect to them that feels Titanic. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, I mean, if we go to Titan as just meaning scale, Sure. Not not even just scale, just an order of being that is like, it's like cosmological slash planetary scale life forms. Um, Beings that are just bigger and older in in multiple different ways. Uh, I think that that is something we're seeing like that. we, We have, we have thought of Titan as being specifically linked to this one group. When in reality, there are many things you could call Titan and those things they things those things have different levels of perception of us. Like when we went to the Shadowlands, when you go to the Shadowlands, everything there is conceptual. All it's like either it's the spirit of a dead being or it's a being that is like literally created to be something. They were much more inclined to talk to you than a Titan normally is. It took getting their bodies murdered and their spirits ripped out and tortured to get the Titans to be willing to look down to the beings of Azeroth and say you must fight. Yep. And that's the thing. It's, it's There are many possible reasons why. But one thing that keeps coming to my mind about all this is that the thing, the lesson they learned when they tried to go after the old gods was that sticking your hand in is not going to fix the problem. Going, uh, going in and just saying, okay, F this, I'll just rip it out, doesn't fix the problem. So it may be that their lack of interaction with us isn't necessarily just that they are so massive and powerful that we are like bugs to them. It might also be that, you know, it doesn't do any good for them to interact with us. If anything, it makes it worse. If there's going to be healing, 
then we they need to be in, as involved as little as possible. Because you mentioned before about the Well of Eternity. I'm going to go back and, and give a simple reason to why the Well of Eternity isn't just pour in more, you know, vile juice until the ocean is a well of First up is there's the scale of dilution. Yeah, I was um, going to bring that up earlier, yeah. When you have a vial of the blood of a titan and you pour that into a small lake on top of Mount Hyjal, magic can happen, you know, because there's there's not so much water here that it's just going to get dispersed. I mean, let's be upfront. When when the cataclysm happens and the original Well of Eternity is ripped apart, the ocean doesn't turn into the Well of Eternity. You don't get a worldwide Well of Eternity out of it. You get nothing. You get the, in fact, if anything, you get the uh, Maelstrom. You know, the, the magical energy is basically just turned into a gigantic churning storm that just exists forever and can serve as a portal into other realms of existence. It doesn't turn into the well of eternity in order for you to even have a well of eternity, you need it to be self-contained. You need the power to be coming back to it. As Joe mentioned, Joe already said this, the power comes back from all those Titan installations. That sole purpose is to prevent anything else from getting the, the, the spirit energy that Azeroth is trying to feed on and feeding it back into the giant wound there. It's effectively like trying to, Imagine if you didn't have bandages, but you wanted to try to heal a big wound on your back. We'll use your back as an example. Not because I have a big wound on my back right now, but I do. Um, if you're not using bandages to heal it, how do you heal it? One possible way is to just keep the blood in one place somehow. Go, like Keep the blood from leaking out. Form a scab. Mm -hmm. That's how we heal from big wounds. Azeroth might the the entire titan network of of magical facilities that channel power back into azeroth goes all the way from the top of the world down to the, you know as far down south as you can currently find out about and it covers the entire former continent of kalimdor uh and its purpose is to essentially create the equivalent of a scab they're trying to get the magic to stay in one place and not keep leaking out so that underneath this the true power Ooh. of azeroth stays in one place there's, so there's another layer to this too though i think go ahead i want to see if you're going to say what i was going to say what happened to the continent before or after it blew up there you go part of it might have also been to keep that exact thing from happening even though it mm -hmm. did happen eventually right yeah it happened because malfurion destabilized the portal that someone had created using that power yeah, feedback they almost. Looped, they looped into that power network and used that power to create the portal that, that the Sargeras and the Legion were coming through. And in order to stop that from happening, Malthurian basically destabilized the Well of Eternity itself, which, again, a lot of people you know, go, you know, he blew up the planet. Yes, it was an incredibly dangerous thing for him to do. Or But it was that... Or did we not blow up the planet and we just took the failsafe off because of the redirecting of the power and the planet did what the Titan stopped it from doing in the first place? Well, I mean, that's one possibility because here's the thing. The continent, we keep saying the continent blew up, but the continent didn't blow up. No, it, it's, it just drifted. It shattered. Subducted. Yeah. Like, it didn't even shatter. Subducted because, is the better word. Yes. Yeah, it's subducted. All that land is still there. It's just underwater now. That actually happened to North America in the uh, Cretaceous period, the uh, I don't know if you know about the the Midwestern uh, the Midwestern North American Seaway or the Anterior Seaway. It's got a few other names. But what happened was 
when the continental shelf was subducting on the west coast, ordinarily it subducts, it melts, and flows around. But in this particular case, the continent got stuck on the other plate and was being pulled down by it and was pulled down to the point where the sea level in the Midwest was below, like was above the level of the continent. That's exactly what happened to Azeroth when the portal destabilized. And we never have, we have no idea why that happened. Mm -hmm. Was it, is it Azeroth puckering up? Like seriously, like think about what that would, what, what Malfurion did, what it would feel like to a living planet. You got hurt at some point when when you were still just a baby, just a baby. Sorry, I can't help it. Um, but you got hurt when you were just a baby, and then the other people, like the adult versions of you, came together and set up. Like they had their little robo servants set up this whole system to keep you sleeping and comfortable while you healed up, and then someone came along and unplugged it. What happens? And, and it might not be it, the stuff we're talking about might not even be what happens. Yeah. Like we may, we may never really know what the actual effect on Azeroth was, but we do know that when planetary scale trauma happens to Azeroth, it doesn't just happen where Azeroth is hurt because mm-hmm. we, because we went through battle for Azeroth. And when the sword went into the planet, sure, there's plenty of Azerite there, but there's Azerite all over the world. It's not just coming out where it got stabbed. It's coming out everywhere. And the the wound that Sargeras makes in, Sil- in Silithus is really big. But the original Well of Eternity was orders of magnitude bigger. Yeah. So we have no idea. We don't know what the effect on Azeroth of the original wound that created and, the well was. And, and to like put that in perspective to loop it back to the other thing that Matt was talking about, talking about orders of magnitude of dilution, Azerite is in the ocean. We know it is. Azerite is the crystallized blood of a titan. If the Well of Eternity is the magical liquid version of that, which we don't have a really a good reason to not think it is, yeah, it's it's something along those lines. It's something along, it's it's in that same wheelhouse. Then by now, the ocean itself should be one giant well of eternity because there's already more than that one Coke can sized bottle that has been poured into it. Um, but that doesn't work because that's not how yes. Azerite works. Yep. Azerite is a thing that you it basically it seems more powerful the more concentrated it is. Which just goes to show you how ridiculously much of it there was in the Well of Eternity for the whole Well of Eternity to be magical. Yeah, and the thing, we don't know how deep it went either because we do know that the old gods were burrowing into the planet and extending their reach deeper and deeper and deeper. And they had existed for, we don't know how many thousands of years before the Titans found the planet. I don't think we a actually, long time. It was a long time. We don't know how fast they were able to go down or if they were... Uh, not able to because of the infighting between each other and having to expend their resources actually fighting against each other, which isn't theoretically possible. Don't yeah, know. first they had to beat the they first they had to beat the Elemental Lords. Then after they beat the Elemental Lords and enslaved them, then they started fighting each other almost immediately. Like they they started using the Elemental Lords as their Pokemon in their fights against each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but you know that Yashraj was burying himself in the planet. He was tunneling down. What we don't know is how deep he got. We do know that in the time that the Titans have the Titans came and imprisoned the other old gods, like even when they finally do get loose, they don't like Cthulhu didn't go that much deeper. 
Cthune wasn't t digging anymore. When we go and fight Cthune, Cthune has a place all hollowed out, but he's not going any further down. Why not? Is it because he's afraid of what will happen? Like, if I go down too deep, I won't be able to get out of here if anything comes along to kill me. We see that with Yogg-Saron, too. Yogg-Saron did dig a lot deeper than Cthune. Oh, yeah. There's tunnels all over Northrend. There's tunnels that from Yogg-Saron are in, oh, bloody heck, I want to say Howling Fjord. Like, you go to an area that is essentially a giant mass of Yogg-Saron tendrils in blood, and that's on the other side from Northrend's uh, the Ice Crown Citadel. Or from up where Olduwar is, where Yogg's head, for lack of a better word, is is imprisoned. So there's a lot of there's a lot of unknowns here, but we can see that these kind of things don't you you basically I don't think that the can of the coke sized can vial would do anything if you weren't doing a ritual. And and think but, about it this way too. Afterwards, right? That not only does it have to do the ritual, but I also think the intent. And the body of water or what you're trying to do with it matters because, again, one of the dilution principle you're talking about, uh, magic is intent. Magic is bending power to your will. We know that. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. Illidan yep. taught us that. There's, there's an entire quest line of that and and what that means. He's multiple, multiple times. And whether you think Illidan was was cool or not, he was absolutely correct in that. Um yeah. And look at the sun well. Yep. One of those things that the, the when we see the wells get the vials get used, they're used to create the original. I mean, the the, the well of eternity on top of Mount Hyjal. They're used to create the sun well. The sun well is very different than Be the well on top of Hyjal because the intent of the ritual was different. Right? Yeah, they're not trying to make something that's like the original well. Illidan wanted to make something as close to the original well look, as he could, as he could do. Look at, um, whatchamacallit. Kael in, not Kael'thas, but in the Nightborn, in, the, in Surmar. Yeah. The, the one you, they use an actual Titan artifact to create, but do the, the same thing. Well. Yeah. The night well is the same thing, mm -hmm. right? But each of them notice, is uniquely different. The night well is smaller than the original well of eternity by orders of magnitude. It's, it's about this. It's bigger than the Hygel well, but not much bigger. And it's gone. Like it was, it was not self-sustaining the way the sun well was and the way that the uh, well of eternity atop Hygel is. Continues to be, we should yeah. specify because that well, tree well was and is again. Yeah. That, Cause that, that tree is that tree in that land around there is starting to claw back and, and yeah. flourish. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Those, that, that little bit of blood from the, from the heart of Azeroth, that little tiny bit was enough to rekindle and, and something that will last forever. When you take the 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 eye of Amanthul out of the Nightwell, the Nightwell stops being the Nightwell. Mm -hmm. It's like so. Whatever you want to call it, the eye of Amanthul is an immensely powerful object, but it is not as powerful as that one Coke can full of of what is essentially the blood of an, of a Titan. Yeah. So yeah, there's a there's a lot more we can say and a lot more stuff we can touch on. I definitely think that the the Azerothian blood and Azerite show signs of what Joe was talking about before in that it is power from multiple sources. It isn't just like arcane. We used to just say it was like tremendous arcane power. It is tremendous arcane power. It's also tremendous other kinds of power Yep. because it opened a portal to the Legion. And it's, it's, we know that it, it gives inspiration. We know that it's touched by light. We know that it, it can is change living things into other living things. Yes. You know, suddenly you, you take a troll and you give it a good dip. And suddenly it doesn't look a thing like a troll. You give it to some Murlocs and now they talk, they stand up straight. And, you know, it's just, it is strange and powerful 
and a mystery. And the more that we learn about it, the less we know. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really good point, right? No matter what we learn about it, no matter how much we, we spend time dissecting the power of it, we're always going to know not enough. It's just kind of how it works. Anything else to add though? Cause I think we're at time. I think we could talk about this forever, but I think it's a decent place to stop. Maybe, maybe this will be a theme for next week and we'll dig deeper. Who knows? Uh, but I think that's going to do it for today, folks. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience. Again, friends, if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send those in. You can email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you can also hit us up on Discord. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can send that into the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, you can go ahead and throw that into the Q and Podcast Questions channel. In all three cases, I just ask that you tell us which show it's for so that we don't have to continually fight over them. Because Matt and I will continually fight over them. And or maybe that's what you want. I don't know. Y'all confuse me. But with that, folks, we'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.